This is Saster's Founders Favorite series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. We're hosting a one-day event, August 29th, right here in San Francisco. Our greatest of all time speakers will lead tactical sessions on sales, marketing, and customer success. Head to www.sasterscale.com and grab your ticket today. Up today, hired CEO Mehul Patel. How are you all? Um, so I'm Mehul Patel, I'm CEO of Hired. We're solving a problem many of you are familiar with. Uh, you cannot build great companies without great talent, full stop. Our approach is a little different. We built a marketplace. We use AI um, to more intelligently match top tech talent with the best companies. Uh, in terms of my background, uh, I've spent 15 years in marketplaces. Uh, I was early at Lyft, back when it was called Zimride. Uh, I was at Kaggle. I was at Axiom. I've been EIR in marketplaces. I've spent a lot of time in marketplaces. So I want to chat a little bit about the evolution of marketplaces that we've seen, okay? And we're going to fit Hyatt into the story. So marketplaces really started, um, actually, they started even before the 90s. They get classified it's in the back of papers, right? In the 90s, that gets taken online. And now you get uh, listings online. Uh, the great thing about uh, the new marketplaces is this distribution. Uh, and so if you're looking for a dresser, now you can find someone who, who has that dresser. The challenge with these sort of open marketplaces was there was no curation, right? So you didn't know if actually the dress you saw in the picture was the one you were going to go go get. You didn't know that uh, it was actually Mother Teresa selling that uh, that dresser, not like Ted Bundy, right? The next level of this uh, was the marketplaces you all know now, and they've exploded, right? This is the transactional marketplace. The transactional marketplace fixed a lot of these problems. They had a level of curation, right? They verified the seller. Airbnb goes and takes the photos. Um, they have reputation and trust built into the platforms. That's where Hyde fits. Uh, we launched in uh, 2012 uh, for our first four years of our history. We're a transactional marketplace like that. We curated, meaning we selected the best candidates. Uh, we grew uh, triple-digit percentages year over year, uh, hit tens of millions of dollars of revenue. I'd posit there's a next wave coming uh, in marketplaces, and that is really going to be the combination of a marketplace company and a SaaS model. The reason for that is actually the challenge of the transactional marketplace. The challenge of the transactional marketplace is to get loyalty and engagement over time. And the reason is there's a high marginal cost uh, for every new transaction, right? So in the hired marketplace, you might spend $10,000, $20,000 to make that next hire. In a SaaS model, you take that marginal cost way down. Okay, so when you're on Netflix um, uh, and you move from the video and demand world, you want to watch that Patrick Swayze Roadhouse movie, you're not going to worry that's another $12.99 and is it worth it because it's free. The power for the marketplace in that is as marginal cost goes down, usage goes up, they get more data, they understand preferences better. Once you understand preferences better, you can match and make recommendations better. Right? Netflix now knows you like mid-80s terrible movies um, that are kind of awesome. That means you're going to engage more. There's going to be more data. Okay? And we're seeing that. So if you look at some of the names up there, Lyft, uh, Uber, TaskRabbit, and Hired have all launched subscription businesses. I'm going to talk a lot about that. 
But we think there's an opportunity for B2B marketplaces to go further, further than just a pricing model. Uh, and that is really to start offering uh, feature functionality that is SaaS feature functionality beyond the marketplace. So for Hired, uh, you know, we send great candidates to companies for them to interview. But there's a recruiting funnel that's happening after that, right? The, the next step is going to be they're going to assess those candidates. They're going to see how good they are technically. And there's a bunch of steps after that. The next wave of category-creating marketplace companies will offer SaaS functionality that unites that entire funnel. Um, Hired today actually has announced that uh, we've taken the next step and launched uh, through an acquisition Hired Assessments, uh, which is going to automate assessments, technical assessments for companies to, again, make their hiring more predictable and to make it more efficient. So, so how do you make that change? That's a massive, massive change to go from a transactional business in the tens of millions growing 100% year over year to a subscription business that's delivering value now over the long term that's also growing 100% year over year. It's hard. Uh, and we've got some, you know, got some good learning, some bruising that I want to I actually share with you. And hopefully it's helpful. We think about it as this pyramid. And the pyramid is um, really reflects kind of how this foundation, from the foundation all the way to the customer is built. So at the bottom of the pyramid, we, we had to really think about who we are as a company. We thought in the next round about how we work together as in, a, in, a, in this new recurring uh, world. Then we thought about our customers, how we serve them best. And then finally, uh, it was really around the voice of the customer and how we talk to the industry. I'm going to walk through each of these. So it starts at the bottom of the pyramid. This is the mistake I think a lot of companies make when they move to a SaaS model. Um, and it starts with values. Uh, values are critical because that's the one thing that's not going to change. As you go through this transformation, this journey we've been on, Everything changes. You're going to see that for the rest of the pyramid. The one thing that stays the same and should stay the same is the values. Um, and our values, we had to revisit and make sure everyone understood uh, the five values we had still applied. And here's values isn't, isn't um, just kind of corporate speak. Values matter. And it's taken me sort of 15 years in the industry to kind of get a sense of why they matter. They matter because if, if your team doesn't understand the values, if they aren't connected to the values, um, you're going to have to uh, look for alignment in different ways. When you have good values and everyone understands them, everyone operates in the same way. They make decisions in the same way. When you don't have alignment around values, you have to find that alignment in different ways. And the way you do that often is policies and procedures. Policies and procedures kill an organization at this stage, right? It, you're going to lose the most innovative people. You're going to lose an innovative culture. You're not going to be able to hire the best people. You're not going to be set up to win. So values is critical. We started there. We revisited our, our five values. They should always apply whatever your company's doing. We started at that place. The second's team, right, um, who bring the values to life, right, and live the values and make that operating system work. Uh, our approach here was to start at the top. Uh, and so we, we went out and got leaders uh, that were pointing us and bringing us into the future. Uh, there was two learnings there that I wanted to share, uh, share with you. One, we, didn't, we made a mistake of going too senior in certain instances. We needed people who knew how to be scrappy and how to build, not people who had done this at a very, very large company, uh, at least in the early stages. Um, the second is we needed to be far enough down the track of, of what we wanted to become that we could change, but not so far down the track that there will be organ rejection for that person. We also made that mistake. Um, and so the way we thought about it is we wanted someone two steps forward for what the future looked like, but not seven, um, so they could pull the org with them. 
underlying both of these, you know, we did something that was unusual. Uh, you know, you've all been in boardrooms where your boards are like, let's put money in the people who generate uh, who generate the dollars, right? And and they think about sort of uh, certain functions as cost centers. The first executive I hired when we went through this transformation was a head of people, and 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 a kick-ass head of people, uh, and 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 that was because I knew if we didn't get this foundation right, if we couldn't get someone who could reinforce the values, make sure we lived and breathed them, make sure we're hiring team members that could take us into the future, but weren't so far ahead that they couldn't bring their team along, uh, we weren't going to succeed. All right. So the next rung of the, the the pyramid here is how we work. That had to change too. Um, you know, one of the things that we faced was the investment decisions, right? So we have a uh, business in the tens of millions growing at, uh, you know, uh, triple digits that we've had investors uh, invest in us around. Um, but we don't think that's the future, right? The future for us is this much smaller business, but we think that's the future. How do you make investment decisions between the two, right? Yeah, the approach we took was to commit to what that change would look like. And that commitment for us was thinking out in 2016 what life would look like today, two years later, right, at the end of, uh, at the end of 18, uh, essentially. Uh, and what we d decided was we were 10% recurring at the end of 2016. We wanted to end 2018 at 50% of our business being recurring. Once we had that lens, we used that to make our investment decisions, right? So at the end of year one, we wanted to be 30% recurring. So we went to the engineering team. Um, it didn't make sense to break an engineering team out between those doing the, the, the transactional business and those doing the, the new uh, subscription SaaS business. But what we did was we made sure that if we wanted to be 30% that year recurring, at least at a minimum, 30% of those engineers' time should be on the new subscription business, even if that meant we were under-investing in the legacy business. On the sales side, we ended up actually with a different construct. So with sales, we had our more junior, less experienced reps um, work on the transactional business. Tended to be lower lifetime value, quicker sale, higher velocity, higher churn. Um, so a good way to kind of uh, uh, maintain and grow that business and learn uh, our business for the, for the reps. But we took our more senior reps, particularly on the AM side, and had them take the most successful transactional clients and upsell them into recurring. By the way, um, I said that we, our goal was in two years to get to 50% recurring from 10. We got to 80% recurring in the business. All right, so how we serve customers. This is all new to us. Go-to-market was a term that no one in the team even understood. We did not know how to price. We did not know what packaging was. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say I sold the first uh, subscription the company sold, and the conversation was the client called us and said, hey, we hate paying this high cost for every hire. Can we do a yearly deal? And uh, I said, sure, you know, what, what are you thinking? And they gave me a price, right, N dollars. Uh, and my negotiating strategy was to say N plus 50%. And we ended up at N plus 20%. You can't price like that, right? Um, you have to have some, some thinking behind it. We knew that. Um, we hired a consulting firm to help us. Um, they, you know, they came up with a strategy to really lower uh, uh, the ASP and really take it down. Took it down almost fifty percent from some of the the deals we were selling. Um, and the uh, the strategy there was really let more more companies into the market into the subscription product. The challenge we found with that was we left money on the table. Our reps' um, productivity went down because they were selling the same amount of deals at a lower ASP. 
our learning from this actually was to hire an expert and hire them in-house. So we hired a killer uh, product marketing uh, uh, executive out of Oracle. She uh, really drove a seat expansion model uh, that has actually had a double win for us. We've got uh, we've got our reps able to sell more deals, and we've got the ASP has gone up now um, significantly, 30 or 40% from where it was uh, after the consultants had talked to us. So there's a learning there for all of you to think about actually hiring that competence in-house, um, so then folks who understand the nuances of your business and how to set pricing when you're creating a category. There wasn't easy comparables for what we were doing. That brings us to roadmap. So, you know, our roadmap in the transactional days is very different. We just had to roll out functionality that made the marketplace more efficient, more efficient to discover the right candidate at the right time. We could A-B test it very quick. If it worked, roll it out to everyone. If it didn't, roll it back. Uh, once you're into the SaaS world, you're into a recurring lifetime value, long view world. Um, and so we had to revisit how we built our roadmaps, how we work with our customers, um, how we think about a product vision, which for us is an end-to-end -end talent platform, um, and how we, we uh, articulate to customers how it fits uh, their needs. You know, one of the things we, we discovered, and it reminds me of that sort of Henry Ford quote, uh, where Henry Ford said, um, if we had only done what our customers had asked us, we would have built a faster horse. Our job is to deliver a car, right? Um, that's very true. Uh, but what we found, the nuance on that was, because we hadn't done SaaS before, um, our customers didn't really believe we could develop the car and deliver it to them. The car for us is the end-to-end -end talent platform. Um, so we need to de deliver some faster horse features, if you will. Um, and so when they asked us for better Boolean search or um, some DE&I functionality, we, we focused on delivering that in the roadmap um, for two reasons. One, uh, it was valuable to clients. Two, it built the trust so that then we could lead them to our vision of the future, which is this end-to-end -end recruiting platform. So how we tell our story, right? You're, you're defined by uh, the brand you have. Uh, the brand you have uh, in the external world is usually lagging. So uh, we were seen as a transactional marketplace because that's what we were. Uh, we had to really engage. We hired a um, great PR agency. We had a terrific uh, in-house uh, leader uh, that led this. And we really revamped our corporate messaging. Our opportunity to do that last year was our Series D fundraise. Um, and, you know, we felt strongly that we didn't want to do the typical fundraise announcement where, you know, everyone gets high fives because they raised X dollars at a Y valuation, you know, which always seems like an odd thing to celebrate. It's a very Silicon Valley thing to do. It's sort of uh, akin uh, to, to celebrating getting a mortgage when you buy a house. Um, it's an obligation, uh, not, not a victory. And so we took that advantage. And this is difficult because the press wants to just tell that valuation story. It's just, it's just easy. It's just clickbait. Um, and, but we took the time, uh, and, and really through this internal executive, we took the time to like really get the messaging around our move to subscription. We had customer stories talking about the value and trust that they had seen, the long-term partnering they were beginning uh, uh, to engage with us on. Um, and we had stories from you know, Zora and, and Dropbox and Nordstrom and WeWork. Um, and we really created a story about us being a subscription company. That's why, frankly, we're here today, right? Similarly, you know, we had done a lot of uh, thought leadership and analytical stuff around the marketplace. So in the old days, you know, we would have periodic reports. We would talk about salary reports. What were trends in the industry on salary? Because we had a marketplace, kind of like NASDAQ, because it's clearing transactions. So you knew that in Denver, for a certain type of developer, salaries were shooting up. 
that was obviously very valuable. As we moved, though, towards a subscription model and a subscription story, um, we started changing the, the, the analytics and thought leadership we put out in the press. So uh, after that, we started doing stories around our customers. We put out a brand health report that talked about the, the kinds of companies that the best talent now wanted to work for in each market. Um, you know, real success for us was one of our clients um, um, who, who I can't mention would say one of the world's biggest uh, e-commerce companies um, who, who got some press recently about um, the choice of a second HQ. And uh, um, in, the, in the midst of sort of talking about why they picked the place that they did, we found that a lot of our messaging about why uh, uh, hiring the best tech talent in a way that's predictable and measurable and efficient was being pulled through that client and coming out in the press. Um, and that's ultimately the, the, the sign of a really strong story. Finally, the customer. Um, so look, axiomatic to listen to your customers. Um, and it was our customers who told us to move to subscription, right? They came to us and said, doesn't make sense for us to pay a high cost each time. That, that chills uh, my users from using you more. Let's set up a longer term relationship, pay you a fixed price, our incentives are to use you more, not less. Um, and that was great for us because it gave us the long term partnership. Uh, it gave us data so we could match better for them. The thing I will say about listening to customers is, um, what you really want to do is build trust. Um, so they, they trusted us because they'd seen success in our transactional marketplace. They had come to us for a subscription offering, which we delivered to them. We delivered those faster horse features, if you will, that they really needed today, that we didn't see as strategic long-term, but were necessary table stakes today. Once we did that, we built trust. Once we had the trust, the conversation changed. It changed from them telling us the features we should launch to the long-term problems they were facing. And there were three problems. Hiring needed to be more predictable. They needed to know that if I look at six candidates, I will make one hire. It needed to be measurable. The CEOs were now talking about the recruiting funnel in the same way they're talking about their revenue funnel. And they wanted the same visibility. They wanted the head of people to be as conversant on that as the head of uh, sales or the head of marketing is in their worlds. And they needed to be efficient. They need to be able to understand and articulate a cost per hire business case. Those were problems. Um, once we understood those problems, our solution, this end-to-end -end talent platform that we're building, the first step of which is, is the automated assessments we announced today, made sense. And that's been really the platform for us to grow our relationship with our customers. So, so this is a quick summary um, of what I walked, walked through. Um, you know, what I'd say here is that um, there's a lot of change here uh, that happens. Um, and you have to kind of navigate that change pretty carefully. And the, and the pyramid construct is, is very helpful. Um, the bottom of that uh, pyramid starts with values. So you've got to revisit your values. That's your stability. You've got to change your team, but you've got to do it in a way that's not too far in the future. People can bring your team along. As you think about how uh, you operate, you're going to have to think about uh, a commitment to the new business that lets you make the right investments uh, while maintaining the legacy business. You're going to have to change the syntax and metrics uh, that the company talks about, thinks about, and values. Success is now judged differently. Um, and similarly, you're going to have to have a decision framework that lets you make trade-offs in a way that's understandable um, and that can actually clarify what works and what doesn't work. As you get out to the, the customer, you know, you've got to focus on pricing and packaging. You have to have a customer success team um, that is separate from your net new business uh, so that they could really drive retention uh, up. 
uh, and you've got to build a roadmap that's long-term value. Uh, uh, and, and, and part of that roadmap exercise is delivering on, on stuff your clients are asking for, but also building the trust to deliver on stuff they don't know that they need, but actually solves the problem, the car, uh, and not just the faster horse. Uh, you've got to focus on the messaging. Uh, the story's got to be told in a way that people understand you are a subscription business. You're creating a category. You are the next wave of marketplace, which is a SaaS marketplace. Uh, and, and that's got to flow through. The success is when your customers start telling that story in the way you told the story to your customers. And finally, you've got to listen to your customers. Uh, and if you do it right, uh, they're going to tell you their problems, and you're going to be able to give them their, the right solutions versus them trying to give you a solution. Uh, I realize there's a lot of stuff here. I gave you a lot of examples. Uh, I think the trick for all of you here is how to distill this down, how to distill down that pyramid, figure out how to take it back to your organizations and drive change uh, in the way that we did.